Welcome to the Fueled AF podcast, where we educate you on ways to fuel your mind, body, and soul. We're your hosts, Alex and Avery. Now let's jump in. What is up, you guys? Happy freaking Fueled AF Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Happy November. What? Crazy, crazy. Two more months of the year. I know. Um, I love this time of year. So, <clears throat> whoa, I did that at the beginning of every episode. My voice like goes out. Um, but yeah, I love this time of year so much. I, I think this year, for some reason, I'm even like more in the spirit. I'm like low key wanting to decorate for Christmas already, which is so bad. Do you guys decorate? I, well, this is my first year in this house. And I feel like my old apartment last year was so I got a tiny little Christmas tree but it just wasn't big enough for a real one so or like a a full-on tree so I definitely am a big Christmas decorator I Christmas is my favorite time of year um so I've honestly been really like the rain not so much but I've been really liking like the kind of more overcast like Uh, cold like fall like weather I think it's just really cozy but yeah I'm very excited to decorate for Christmas and to have like more space to do that because I actually have like a living room and like a you know yeah space so fun and your birthday is at the beginning of december too which is exciting yes yes i know so basically it's just like the whole month is my birthday that's the way i look at it have you seen those little memes on like facebook where it's like all of november is christmas and then like the three days is is thanksgiving and then all of december is christmas yeah yeah so funny it's so true (laughs) no it is because i yeah thanksgiving i do like but it's definitely not like i'm i'm not honestly the biggest fan of like thanksgiving food so like (gasps) Stop. I like pie, but like turkeys, like I don't know. Oh my gosh, I fuck with turkey, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole. Like literally, give it to me all. Like I've been dreaming. I'm like I have like a Pinterest board of Thanksgiving food. Just I think it's just because like when I've had Thanksgiving, like I haven't been able. I want to fully design the menu, so it's like to my taste, you know. But obviously, it's like I'm with family and stuff, so like everyone's kind of just like, yeah. Just I'm just there. I'm grateful to be there. I'm like I will eat whatever you serve me, type of thing. Anyway. But, um, cool. Well, you guys, we have a part two to our health and fitness terminology episode today. This is going to be more of like an advanced terminology. Um, whereas like the first episode we did part one was definitely more like beginner style, um, terms you probably hear a lot. Mm -hmm. These are going to be terms that maybe you've never heard before, or you, you most likely don't hear as frequently as you have heard the, the old terms. So yeah, this one's going to be really fun. Definitely a little bit more advanced topics on here. Um, so yeah, I guess, do you want to just go ahead and dive on in starting out with some workout terms? Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, we'll go ahead and kick it off with kind of fitness workout terms. So the first one we have is plyometrics. So this is going to be essentially like speed and force training. It's usually going to involve some sort of like jumping. Um, so like the plyo, a plyo box is like a, you know, a box that you would jump on. So a lot a lot different typically from like a strength training program where it's going to be a little bit lower impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely you're going to see this in a lot of like circuits and high intensity training, um, like explosive like, movements. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like burpees and box jumps and things like things of that nature. Um, next we have isometrics. So this is, you can tell plyometrics and isometrics, plyometrics like we said it's about explosiveness speed force isometrics kind of the opposite you're holding something for an extended period of time um so like a plank would be an isometric movement you're just holding that or like a wall set you're holding that for an extended period of time taxing out that muscle yeah yeah love it 
So next on here, we have deloads. So this is basically a recovery phase where you lessen the intensity of your workouts. Um, deloads can actually look different. There's definitely different ways to approach a deload week. Um, these are really, really important. It's something I know I definitely throw in for my clients. I know you do too, Avery. Um, super important when it comes to just recovery overall. So like I said, deloads can look a little bit different. Um, most of the time you're still training during a deload week. You're just lessening the intensity of your, your training. So whether it's by like, 50% or even like 30%, um, you're just doing either less reps or less weight than you're normally used to. Like I said, the purpose of this is really just to help with recovery. Um, sometimes deloads can even be taking a whole week off the gym. I've seen it done that way as well. So that's yeah, what and it really about. does depend like on the individual and what their goals are. So like, mm -hmm. you know, deloads, I would say are going to be less important for someone who's a beginner in the gym, maybe isn't training as frequently or with you know, a high, a high enough intensity. Um, but once you get to a certain level where you are very consistent with the gym, you're pushing your, you know, kind of where your limits are and you're, you know, you're really pushing yourself with an appropriate intensity. It's definitely really important to, you know, just like a rest day, it's kind of an extended rest period where you most likely still training, but at a much lower intensity, um, to kind of give your body an extra chance to recover. So for a lot of like the best way to think about this is like, if you ever played sports, a lot of times in, in certain sports, so like track swimming, there'll be like a taper week. So like before a competition, there's a week where you're kind of just a much easier training, like style, you're just not working as hard to give your body a chance to recover before the competition. So, um, yeah. Um, next up, we have a concentric phase. So concentric and eccentric. So these are essentially like the two main phases of a movement. So the concentric phase is the shortening of the muscle and the eccentric is going to be the lengthening of the muscle. Um, so it's going to be different for every exercise, but typically another way to think about it is the eccentric would be like the lowering phase of a movement. Again, it's not always that straightforward, but like as, as an example, like a squat, as you're when you're standing and you're lowering down into the bottom of the squat, that would be the eccentric phase. So you're like lowering and then concentric is like standing back up or another lazy. example too. That's like an easy example to think of as like a bicep curl. Yeah. So as you're going down, that is the eccentric phase. And as you're coming back up, that is the concentric phase. Mm -hmm. um, Awesome. So next we have tempo cues, which Avery, you, I know you do a lot of programming with tempo cues. So I'll definitely let you give an example of like a, what a tempo cue could look like, but basically what it is, is it's a series of four numbers that basically tell somebody a specific rate that they should perform their exercise in. Um, so it, it just kind of gives you a path to follow in terms of like how long the concentric and eccentric phases of the movement should look like. Um, if you're holding at the bottom of a movement, do you want to go ahead and give an example of what a tempo cue could look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, essentially like Alex said, it's four numbers. So the first number is going to be your eccentric phase. So this is something that you can kind of play around with. Like maybe you want to make the exercise harder. And so you want to take five seconds to come, you know, from the top of your bicep curl on the way down, you're going to go really slow. So that would be five seconds. The second number in the sequence is going to be the bottom of the movement. So maybe you're pausing at the bottom, maybe you're coming directly back up. So maybe like you're pausing at the bottom of a squat, that would be that second number. Third number is going to be the concentric phase. So the shortening of the muscle. So coming back up from the squat or back up from the bottom of a bicep curl. And then the last number is going to be the top of the movement. So again, you might want to add a pause to this. Like maybe you're doing um, a hip thrust with like a pause at the top, something like that. Um, so that kind of just defines each phase of the movement and how long we want it to be. Um, and this is a really good way to 
just play around with the intensity, making things yeah. more challenging, um, or to kind of work on different portions of the movement. So maybe you really want to strengthen like the top part of your de- uh, hip thrust. So you add a pause to that, mm-hmm. to that part. So yeah. essentially it's just playing around with time under tension, which we'll talk about in a second. Which is also a great form of progressive overload. So if you're trying yeah. to, like Avery said, add intensity to your workouts, there's so many different ways to do that outside of just adding more reps or adding more weight. Time under tension and tempo cues is a great way to add that in. Yes. So next we have an AMRAP, A-M-R-A-P, which basically stands for as many reps as possible. Um, These are often used on like a burnout set of like an exercise. So if somebody is, has like one last set, I like to do these a lot with like um, lateral raises. I'll throw like an AMRAP at the end. So I literally can complete as many reps as possible with that given weight that I have. It's literally what it stands for, as many reps as possible. Yep, exactly. Um, and EMOM, so this is stands, so E-M-O-M, which stands for every minute on the minute. And this is kind of a type of like way to structure a circuit essentially. So you have however many different exercises you're going to do and you have a certain target of reps. So let's say you're going to do like 10 pushups. You have that first minute of the EMOM, minute one to complete 10 pushups, however long that takes you, whether it takes you 30 seconds or 40 seconds, whatever. And then once you're done with those reps, the amount of time left in that minute is your rest time. And then at the top of the next minute, you'll start your next exercise. So essentially it's kind of incentivizing you to work as quickly as possible to make sure that you have as much rest time as possible. But obviously as you're going through those exercises, you're getting more fatigued. So you're probably going to take more time to do the exercise, hence giving you less rest time. So it's essentially just a way to structure a circuit. I was just telling Avery right before we hopped on this call, I did so many EMOMs when COVID first happened and like the gyms got shut down. I didn't have a ton of equipment at the house. So I was kind of looking for a way to intensify my workouts. Um, Also, I was working a different job at the time. So like getting in quick workouts was going to be really effective for me. So I would do like 25 minute EMOMs. So basically what I would do is like, five different exercises and five sets of those different exercises, which would equal 25 minutes total. So I would literally set my timer for 25 minutes. And then every new minute, I would start the new exercise, complete the given amount of reps that I gave myself. And they're hard. Imams are really, really hard. They really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next up, we have MMC or Mind Muscle Connection. Um, so this is probably something that we've like thrown around here and there on different podcasts. Um, but essentially it's like exactly what it sounds like. It's, you know, kind of the, the connection between your mind and your body specifically, like when you're working out, it's kind of the idea that focusing on the muscle that you're trying to work is going to help work that muscle, which is actually true. They've done studies on it and there's like more muscle fibers recruited. So essentially like, let's say you're doing a bicep curl, you know, focusing on the mind muscle connection would be really focusing on like your bicep and contracting that muscle, really using that muscle to lift the weight, making sure your form is solid. Um, and essentially just like being mentally present with what you're doing. There's nothing better than a workout when you have like really great mind muscle connection. Um, cause you, it really can, like it reset intensify your workout. Like the more you're just focused on the actual movement and actual muscle that's being recruited for that movement. So Gotta yeah. love it. Um, next we have TUT, which stands for time under tension, which we kind of talked a little, bit, a little bit about with tempo cues. Essentially what time under tension means is you're, you're usually utilizing more time for each movement, which like we said, is a form of progressive overload. It can allow your um, movement to intensify, utilizing more time and going really slow with the movement. Yeah, yeah 
exactly. It's just basically slowing down or speeding up depending on, you know, what you want to do. Um, last couple terms here in kind of the workout section, RIR, which stands for reps in reserve. Um, so this is essentially just a way to measure intensity. So as you're going through your workout, um, RIR would kind of indicate to you, okay, you just did that set of eight. How many more reps do you think you could have done? Do you think you could have done another one? Do you think you could have done another five reps? Um, so it's another way of measuring intensity. Um, RPE is another one. I think we talked about that on the on the beginner or the first episode. So um, they're both, you know, they're both ways of measuring intensity. It's essentially just instead of saying how hard was that, you're saying how many could you have done? Yeah. How many more could you have done? So if I could have done two more, it would be two RIR. Like that's what I would tell my coach. Like I could have done two more reps of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Awesome. Lastly, we have hypertrophy, which is essentially just like an increase of the growth of muscle cells. Um, yeah, basically just means that your muscles are getting bigger. A lot of training that people do, especially weight training is hypertrophy training. Um, mm-hmm. is there anything else you want to add on to that? Um, I mean, I think it's a, important to know that like hypertrophy can happen like in a lot of different ways. So like, even if you're focusing on strength, you can still grow your muscles and um, you know, increase the size of your muscles. Typically, I think a lot of times when people talk about hy- hypertrophy, they kind of talk about like, you know, a, a rep range of like eight to 12. Right. Um, they kind of say, okay, if you're training for hypertrophy, you'd be doing it, you know, reps eight to 12. But like, essentially, like if you are implementing progressive overload in some form, like you are working on muscle hypertrophy, it's just, you know, doing lower reps. Like if you're focusing on powerlifting, maybe doing reps of, you know, sets of three or sets of four, it's not going to be as optimal for muscle growth. Um, so that's why a lot of people, you know, and they kind of talk about their programming, they're like, oh, it's kind of a traditional hypertrophy based program, meaning that like, they're probably for most of the reps going to stick within like eight to 12, right. maybe 15, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's kind of just a general way of, of referring to like muscle growth. Love it. So next we are going to be diving into like nutrition and diet terms. So the first one we have on here is a diet break, which is essentially giving yourself a break from being in a dieting phase. Um, Avery, I think you added on here, like you could be going back to maintenance calories or even taking like an intuitive day or an intuitive approach. Um, A lot of the times diet breaks are to help kind of omit metabolic adaptation, which we'll talk about here in a few words, I guess. Um, but yeah, that is kind of what a diet break is. There's a few things in here that we're going to talk about in, re- in regards to like dieting that kind of are to help omit metabolic adaptation. Cause that is mm-hmm. something that you don't want to happen if you are dieting or in a, in a deficit for a long period of time. Right. And essentially like, you know, if you are dieting for a long period of time, um, it's essentially just exactly what it sounds like. Like dieting is mentally taxing. It's physically taxing. It's going to be a much you know, higher state of stress for your body to be in. So, you know, sometimes your biofeedback might be affected, your strength might be affected. Um, You know, you, we all know what it feels like to be hungry. Like it's not the best feeling. Um, So just being in a diet, even if it's a sustainable diet, you're not doing anything extreme for an extended period of time um, definitely does kind of wear your, wear you down. And of course can, and, you know, does affect your metabolism. So essentially a diet break is just giving your body and your mind a break from that. Um, to hopefully prolong your consistency with the diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next up, we have peri nutrition um, or peri workout nutrition, which essentially just refers to the food that you're eating for during after your workout. So essentially, it's it's kind of encompassing like how your nutrition is supporting your training. Um, and I'm trying to 
think, I don't know if we've ever really talked about like pre-workout. I was going to say, we should do an episode on that. Yeah, we should do like pre and post-workout or like how to get the most out of your workouts or something. But yeah, essentially making sure that you're well-fueled for your workout um, and and that you're fueling yourself after your workout is super, super important. Um, and then intra, intra workout would be like if you're eating something in the middle of your workout or drinking something, um, which is definitely not necessary, but if you are training for a prolonged period of time or you're maybe like, you know, at lower calories, you want to kind of support your nutrition to really boost your workouts. You yeah. could definitely eat something like in the middle of your workout or drink something. To or kind drink of help. Something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's very common for like, um, you know, like people do like Gatorade in between right. that's just like it carves that because after we've talked about this before in terms of how to structure a workout, but typically the first half of your workout is going to be more of your compound lifts where you're recruiting a lot of the energy that you have reserved for that lift. Um, so it is essentially just yeah, an extra way to give you a little bit more energy midway through your workout to kind of pick it all up. Yep, exactly. Um, next up we have refeed. Um, so this is kind of similar to a diet break in the sense that one of the main reasons you would do a refeed is to help kind of combat metabolic adaptation. But essentially this is a controlled increase in your calories. Normally it's going to be an increase in your carbs, um, during a period of, uh, during a dieting period to help with energy recovery, metabolic adaptation, um, and to uh, once again, kind of hopefully be more adherent to the diet for longer. Um, so, you know, maybe once a week, someone's in a caloric deficit and once a week they have much higher, not maybe not much, but you know, relatively higher calories or higher carbs to kind of help their body replenish refuel, um, for like, you know, for the week. Um, so this can help with your metabolism slowing down as you're dieting, um, and can just help with energy and, you know, adherence. So just having more food is, you know, is helpful to kind of feel a little bit better. And then, um, you're hopefully able to kind of stick to that diet for longer. Yes. I'm just not thinking we should have probably put metabolic adaptation first. Cause like a lot of these are referring to metabolic adaptation, but it's fine. <laughs> I'll talk about that now if you want. Sure. So metabolic adaptation, we've talked about it obviously with diet breaks and with refeeds. Um, basically what it is, is it's, it's like literally what it sounds like, but it's when your body adapts to a specific intake. And it's something that we see a ton with women that we bring on, um, especially with lower intakes. So essentially what happens is your body kind of goes into this fight or flight survival mechanism, and it starts to adjust to the amount of calories that you're eating, whether it's lower than your maintenance or, or whatever that may be. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, it's, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's your metabolism basically adapting to whatever your intake is, especially if you sustain that intake for a long period of time, mm -hmm. which can be really bad. Like if you are somebody who eats excessively low calories, um, that can be really, really like kind of horrible just for your internal, internal health. So that's why there's so many of these kind of tactics that people will use so that they're, they don't run into metabolic adaptation during a dieting phase. Right. So just like as an example, you know, let's say you've been dieting for three months and, you know, at that point you're, you're, you know, let's say you've been super, let's say you've been hundred percent consistent just to, for the, for the case of this, of this scenario, but like your body has now had three months, your metabolism has, has had three months to adapt to eating lower calories. So yes, you might be eating 
less food than you're burning, but now your body is starting to burn less calories at rest or just less calories in general because you're not getting as much food. And so your body's like, okay, hey, so I'm not getting as much food and I can recognize that. So I'm going to start to kind of slow down how quickly I burn through this fuel to make sure that this lasts me and that I stay alive. So it's essentially, it's your body, you know, being very, very adaptable and smart and being able to adapt to different circumstances. But as a result, um, you know, you might be at those calories for a long time or, and then eventually, you know, you hit a weight loss plateau, you can't see any more progress. Um, and so doing a diet break or doing a refeed is a helpful way to hopefully kind of combat some of that metabolic adaptation as you go, um, so that you can diet for longer. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that was a good example, but, um, yeah, metabolic adaptation is really like at the heart of like reverse dieting and really like all dieting phases, like, you know, your metabolic adaptation is really, or like just your metabolism in general is a really big thing to consider. Yeah. Um, really quick. I do want to throw in there, you know, people will say like, Oh, my, my metabolism is broken. Like it's trashed. You, you can always upregulate your metabolism. So that is the beauty of it. Um, some people might need a little bit more intervention than others, considering mm-hmm. how like long they've been dieting for and their hormonal health. And there, there's a lot of factors that play a role. Um, but you can always upregulate and downregulate your metabolism. It's not broken. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, so, some people might just need a little bit more intervention with their diet. Yeah. And I will say like, there is definitely a limit to like, you know, how high you can bring that like at a certain point you are going to gain weight um it's not like you could reverse diet like forever and eat 5,000 calories like at a certain point you are going to you know you are going to gain weight but like Alex said like you you know you definitely can upregulate downregulate your metabolism based on what you're doing um but yeah by no means is there like you know is there is your metabolism like good or bad or or, you know obviously genetically some people are going to have a faster metabolism, slower metabolism. But I think that in general, people kind of think it's something that they have a lot less control over than they actually do. So um, it just takes time. And like, it, yeah, it takes time for your body to, to respond. I think that's a big thing. But um, moving on, next up, we have calorie cycling. So you may have heard like carb cycling, calorie cycling. Um, this is essentially just a method of dieting. Oh my gosh, my cat is like trying to scratch this thing. Um, it's essentially just a method of dieting where instead of having, let's say you're eating 2000 calories every day, um, instead of doing that, you would have some days that are higher, some days that are lower, but with the same total calories per week. So, you know, person A is just doing a straight diet. Person B is doing a straight diet. They're both eating the same amount of calories, but one of them is having higher calorie and lower calorie days. Um, so this is something that can be helpful for some people. I definitely think it is a more advanced method because it's obviously going to require you to kind of change your macros on a daily basis. Um, so I would say it's going to be something that probably is going to be a more advanced technique. And, you know, it definitely can be something that for some people might be helpful. Like if, you know, maybe you're someone who gets a lot hungrier on their training days than not. And then on the rest days, they just feel, you know, really not hungry. Maybe they just aren't very active. That might be, a, you know, someone that it might be helpful for, but, um, yeah. Same goes for like lifestyle as well. I, I think you put that on there too. Like yeah. depending on what your job looks like, that might be something that's more, but like more better, that might be better for you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I will say that based on the research that I'm aware of, I think that like, you know, they've done studies of like, okay, let's look at, is it more effective to do this, to do this method where one, one day we have high calories, the next day, low calories. And I think that based on what I, based on what I know, 
it's not like the, the, there isn't a significant difference in terms of actual results or adherence. Um, I think it's really just kind of a personal preference. Like it's a personal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately at the, at the end of the day or at the end of the week, you're still eating the same amount of calories. So, yeah, lovely. So lastly, in terms of like, um, nutrition diet terms, which this is probably more so could just fall under the other category. Um, kind of nutrition as well, but body recomp. So this is something you'll hear frequently. Um, I feel like it's tossed around a lot. Um, I love it too. Cause some people will be like, Oh, I want to do a body recomp. I'm like, do you even know what that means? Um, but basically it's short for body recomposition and it's essentially putting an emphasis on not only losing body fat, but also gaining muscle at the same time. Um, it is possible to do a body recomp, especially staying at maintenance calories. It will just take a little bit longer than if you were to go into specific diet phases to help with you know, reducing body fat and maybe gaining muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely possible. Definitely. I think a goal a lot of people have is more of a body recomp. Um, mm-hmm. and essentially with a body recomp, like your weight won't change that much. Um, especially if you're putting on muscle mass at the same time as losing fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's some people are going to be, I think that it, typically like beginners are a little bit more likely to succeed with this strategy. If like you're just starting to strength train and you're just starting to kind of dial in your nutrition um, and maybe you're in a very, very, very small caloric deficit just because you're more active and you're a little bit more dialed in with your nutrition, but you're still eating lots of food, lots of protein. Uh, maybe you're starting to strength train like more intentionally. Um, so yes, it is a hundred percent possible to do both at the same time. But like Alex said, it's not going to be as um, as efficient or as quick as like a dedicated, okay, we're in a dieting phase or we're in a maintenance phase or we're reverse dieting, whatever it is. So, um, yeah, but it definitely is possible for sure. Um, okay. And then moving on to kind of the last couple of things, these are just like kind of miscellaneous category. Um, so we'll start off with plateau, which I kind of mentioned a a second ago, but essentially a plateau is just a pause in your progress or like a halt in your progress after seeing consistent progress. So typically I feel like people refer to like, refer to this talking about a weight loss plateau. So like you've been dieting, you've been losing weight. It's all good. Um, you haven't changed anything. And all of a sudden, like the scale's not moving, you're not seeing any more progress. Um, and essentially this happens as a result of metabolic adaptation. If you are in a true plateau, um, it's essentially just, you know, you haven't changed anything, but your body and your metabolism have changed. Um, and so you need to do something to make sure that you're still in a deficit. So essentially just, you're not in a deficit anymore because your body's adapted. Um, so. Love it. And I think you're going to be making a post today, which is Wednesday yes. in this, right? Yes. I do have a post. It'll be up by the time we, we post this episode, but it's basically talking about like four questions to ask yourself if you think you're in a plateau, just because a lot of times people will kind of, they, they haven't lost you know, lost weight in a week and they get super freaked out and they like immediately drop their calories or they kind of immediately take action, um, without necessarily actually being in a weight loss plateau. So I think that it's definitely something that gets thrown around probably a little bit too frequently. And I think, especially if you are a beginner, like, you know, it's, it's easy to be like, Oh, I have to change my macros every week. And I have to be like constantly making these changes. Um, when actually like you just need to get consistent with your protocols and then, you know, you don't necessarily have to make changes that frequently. Like if it's working, yeah. you're good. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, go ahead. Next on here, we are going to kind of finish up the episode talking about TDEE, which is total daily energy expenditure, essentially referring to the amount of calories you burn throughout the day. Um, so we're going to talk about like the four components that go into your total daily energy expenditure. So do you want to kick it off with BMR, which is the first one we have yes, on? Yes, totally. So um, really quick, I feel like this is just to kind of give you guys like a, like why this is so important or one reason is that I think a lot of people think that like the majority of the calories that they're burning are from exercise, which is actually not true. Like, of course you can burn a lot of calories when you're exercising, but you actually are burning a lot of calories just going about your daily life. Um, so BMR, which stands for basal metabolic rate. So this is essentially like the calories that your body is burning, just doing the bare minimum, like just keeping you alive. So if you were to like lay on the couch all day, how many calories would you need? Um, literally, or how many calories would you burn just Sitting, Fun, like sitting there, yeah, sitting there. Um, so this can change based on your body composition. Um, and it also can, you know, it's a gen definitely genetics play a role in this as well, but this is something that, that can and does change. So I think this is kind of what you're getting at. Like, Oh, I have a slow metabolism, a fast metabolism, whatever. Um, this, it can, it can change. It is fluid. Yeah. This um, is something I, we focus a lot on with our clients is increasing their BMR. Why we put such a big emphasis on weight training and, you know, growing muscle, because the more muscle you have on your body, the more calories you will burn at rest, um, which basically means your, your basal metabolic rate is higher, um, which is a good thing. So next on here, we have NEAT, which you guys have probably heard us throw this one around a lot, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. That's what it stands for. Sounds way scarier than it is. Um, it's so funny how like the, they're just such big words that are used to explain. So essentially what a non-exercise activity thermogenesis means, it's the amount of calories you're burning while doing non-intentional exercise. This is going to make up, aside from your BMR, this is going to make up the majority of calories that you burn throughout the day. BMR is qualified as like a resting, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like resting calories burned. And then the next three that we're talking about is not, I guess. Um, so neat is like I said, the non-intentional exercise that you're doing throughout the day, literally washing the dishes, walking into work, taking the stairs, going to the grocery store, um, anything you could think of that you're burning calories, but you're not intentionally trying to burn calories. Yeah, and I would argue even like, you know, having just a daily step goal would fall under neat yeah. because, you know, if you're just taking a leisurely walk, like you're not really you're getting some movement in yes, but you're not intentionally exercising like, you know, kind of more intensely. So yeah, basically just all daily movement, you know, aside from actual, in, uh, in, intentional exercise. Um, next up is TEF and this stands for thermic effective food. So this is essentially the calories that you burn, digesting, breaking down, absorbing the food that you're eating. Um, so this is something that I think a lot of people overlook and it's pretty straightforward, but definitely like some foods are going to take more energy for your body to break down than others. Um, so, you know, just eating takes your body energy too. Yeah. To Which is, yeah. Another reason too, why we talk, you know, when we're all about eating more and gaining muscle, like that's another thing too, the more food you're eating, like the more energy your body's using to process that food. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, and then the last one on here is EAT or E-A-T, which stands for exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is essentially the opposite of NEAT. Um, so this is calories that you're burning while you're doing intentional exercise. So like you're going to the gym, you're lifting or you're, you know, like, I don't know, on the Stairmaster or whatever it is, any sort of like intentional, like I'm going to exercise versus just kind of moving 
because that, you know, you're alive. Um, so this definitely has a big, you know, variable in it. Like it, it could be a lot of calories, it could be not very many calories. Um, so I think honestly, like with, with this one, like this is kind of besides the point, but I think that like, if you can think about exercise as like, not like the main purpose of doing it is not to burn calories. I think that that's really helpful because a lot of people try to measure how many calories they're burning when they're exercise with like their watch or on a treadmill or something. And it's just not very accurate. Um, and so, you know, I think that just focusing on your exercise is really like a muscle building tool rather than a calorie burning tool is probably a good way to go yeah, about it. Which was going to bring me to my next point. So eat is like 10% of the calories you burn throughout the day. So literally out of all four of these components, it's the least amount of calories that you will burn on a day-to-day basis. Um, generally speaking, I, I do want to, however, point out the fact, like, I don't want you to think, oh, like, okay, well, that doesn't make up very much. So I'm just not going to do it. You're also, especially if you're focusing on building muscle, that's going to kind of build up your BMR, which is the highest component. So on a day-to-day basis, it's the least amount of calories that you're burning, but over time, it really, really does promote a higher BMR, which in return is going to target more calories burned throughout the day. Very good point. So yes. Um, which I also thought this was funny too. Whenever I was like first getting into health and fitness, I literally thought the only calories you burn throughout the day was, you know, like on my Apple watch. Like I literally was like, oh, okay, I only burned 600 calories today. Like, man, I gotta really just tone it back on my eating, which is absolutely not true. Do not do that. <laughs> um, you burn a lot more calories than you think you are. Yeah. I think people, I think sometimes people think that they only burn calories when they're like doing cardio. I'm like, when you're lifting, you are burning calories. Yeah. Like, for sure. Right. So. Um, so yeah, that is kind of, uh, the whole wrap of part two to our health and fitness terminology. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We always laugh because we're like, oh, it's going to be really quick. And then it usually takes way longer than we, we've gotten to the point where we're like, okay, even if there's like three sentences on our, on our outline, like Avery and I can make this episode really long if we want to. <laughs> we love um, <laughs> um, hopefully you guys learned something. Hopefully it was helpful, but we will be back next week with another episode. Yes. Happy Friday, you guys, and see you next week. Bye.